welcome to the show. Great to be with you this morning. Art today, Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk. Ready to rock and roll. Rock and roll. Ready. How Absolutely. are you, Paul? I'm great, man. Great to be with everyone today. Thanks for listening to the podcast or on the radio, KLFT Radio here in Lafayette, Louisiana. Okay, Beautiful Indiana. Lafayette, Louisiana. Yeah, if you're not from here or around here or sort of south Louisiana along the Gulf Coast towards like Mobile, like that sort of like, you know, area, we have this debate around this time of year, every year, that is, you know, pretty intense. It's an intense debate, and it's a debate that no one else around the country is even thinking about or even cross their mind because mm-hmm. it's just not in front of them. And it's debate on what's the best king cake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, everybody talks about it. You know, where do you get the best king cake? And people literally argue about it. Yeah. Not not like slap fighting or anything like no, that. No, but, but it's... It, it's, it gets- it's I mean, people like you could lose a political election over this if you could pick the wrong cake. Yeah, you work people at a school, so you. I'm sure, like in a faculty lounge, you know, there's mm-hmm. always snacks. So this time of year, there's a king cake probably once a week or even more. Yeah, once a week. Yeah, and then someone, and I'm just guessing here. So tell me if I'm wrong. Someone's probably declaring this is the best king cake. I'm just letting y'all know. Totally. And then it's out on the table. Everybody tries it. There's this debate, and then everybody has an opinion. And this is a yeah. real thing. Well, one of my uh, very cool coworkers, Anna Angel, she had the idea of actually creating a poster <clears throat> where people can rate the king cakes. Really? So contest. So we got, you know, she loves data and, mm. and facts, right? Mm. So anyway, so it's the king cake trials that happen annually. Okay. So we sample king cakes and then comment and, and score them. And um, you, it's controversial. It's, there's definitely not consensus. Any week, there's no consensus. Yeah, so just to let everyone know, king cake is a circular cake that uh, we have during festival season leading up to Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. It, it's a king cake. It's a Mardi And the Gras king cake. is uh, the, the three kings, the wise men. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is those wise men who look for the baby Jesus, so there's a little baby Jesus in the cake. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. we, and even if you're a pagan, you get a Jesus cake. Like, it, it, it is, has become part of the culture our Catholic culture and tradition. And then, it, of course, just like every holiday and Catholic tradition, it, it gets taken over by the culture and, and commercialism. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We used to have a, um, a, a baseball team here and not professional or like semi professional baseball team. Do you mm-hmm. remember this? Yeah. And they named themselves the Baby Cakes. Yeah. Because that's how big this, this phenomenon of cake is. Yeah, I guess it would be like if you grew up in like a, a German community or a Polish community and you argued about like what's the best Polish sausage and you, it was like a fight fest or, you know, what's the best German beer. Like it's intense and, and, it, and it's a real thing. But, but the cool thing is that it's so cultural and we're in this season that's creeping up to Lent, Mardi Gras and the whole thing. And, and so in some ways it's funny. In some ways you're like, oh, it's a king cake. But like you don't know that subconsciously all this is really preparing us for this thought that Lent is coming, you know? So if you are Catholic or even like minimally Catholic or whatever, you, you have in the back of your mind, like something different is happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the point, you know, um, culture does that. That is, I mean, culture is how we spend our days is how we move from one moment to another moment together. And so the things we can do culturally at the right moment 
help us get to our destination. So the king cake is not about the king cake. It's about the moment between Christmas and Lent. You know, that's what it's about. Right. And so the more we participate in that moment, then the more intentionally we get to the destination, which is Lent and Easter. That's correct. You know, so you were saying that you could lose an election over this. You could. You so could. like if you're a politician, you would come out and say, I love all king cakes, <laughs> which is not true. Because if you taste, you know, 100 king cakes. You will not love all of them. You're going to mm-hmm. like be particularly like, you know, one, you're like, man, that's just, you know. So if you want to lose the election, you just come out and be like, I like that king cake. <laughs> you'll get all those votes. You'll get those votes, but, but you'll, you'll lose, lose every eighty percent, every everyone <laughs> else. So anyway, and I don't eat king cake. I don't eat cake ever. Not really. Wow. No. I should loosen up in life. I know. Have well, a little bit more fun. You're not the only one these days. You know what you should do? You should make like a like a meat king cake. Ooh, let's talk about that in a minute. <laughs> Speaking of meat king cakes, do you have a have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? Yeah, actually it's um has nothing to do with meat king cakes, but it has to do with uh another kind of animal. Okay. Which is a, a dolphin. So we've discovered something new about dolphins. Have you seen this? No. Yes. Um yes. This, this actually comes from last year. Okay. So it's not, you know, brand new, but I just found out about it. That we discovered that dolphins like to use recreational drugs together. Really? How do they find them? Well, <laughs> they do. Because, well, first of all, dolphins are very intelligent, as we know. They're one of the most intelligent, intelligent species in the animal kingdom that aren't us. Hmm. Um, but they found out that pufferfish, a particular type of puffer, pufferfish, yes. um, when chewed on correctly, emits this chemical... Huh. That will literally get them high, and so they like were a, like a hemp or something. Yes, <laughs> it's got like hemp inside the. Uh, That's right, puffer fish. And so they were filming this documentary on dolphins, and they noticed this strange behavior they were doing, which was they would kind of nibble on a puffer fish hmm. and then pass it to their friend, who also nibbled on the puffer fish. So they decided to examine their brains to see what's going on, and sure enough, they were getting high on puffer fish and like passing it around. Yeah, this is a great community. Yeah. Share the wealth. <laughs> do unto others. Right? Like, yeah. they found something good in the puffer fish. You know, I grew up with this show called Flipper, and anyone oh, around yeah. my age would know. <laughs> yeah, that. That dude was definitely on some puffer fish. I mean, like, he would skip across a pond and the water and flip out. Well, what's crazy about this to me is that it's a particular type of puffer fish. Like, it's amazing God's uh, design that just through instinct and, you know, whatever God gave these animals. They're smart. They find the drug fish. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, a nice glass of wine or something. You're like, man, mm-hmm. this is this is good. It, it, it It's good. It, you know, and I want to share this. I don't want to drink alone, have a glass of wine alone. Exactly. And this is, this is like the dolphins, like, you know, Cabernet. Yep. It's it's like a happy hour in the sea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, so. and they share it with one another, you know? Yeah. It's crazy to me. Yeah. So speaking of the king cake, like if I were to do a meat king cake, the three layers you would, you know, mm-hmm. of meat. I'm going to think on that. That's that's a good one. Well, I mean, one of them has to be bacon. That yeah. could be like the icing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break. We actually, this is uh, going to be a pretty 
interesting show because it was pretty tough reading when we're gonna break open. Plus Whoa. a really strange, weird Catholic stuff that you're gonna wanna you wanna dive into this because it's it's got some layers to it, some king cake layers. Oh boy. All right, this is Paul and Adam. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks again for being a part of the podcast or the radio show. You know, you had me thinking on the break. So a king cake is like three layers kind of Mm -hmm. wound together, which is a sign of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. You get that? Mm -hmm. And then it's circular, which is a sign of God's love. It's it's eternal. It's unending, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's Mm -hmm. the baby Jesus and the traveling, you know, Kingsman. I mean, it's all, you know, scriptural base, like this whole thing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But if, you know, if I had to do like three layers of, of meat for the cake, it would be bacon, mm-hmm. brisket, mm. and filet. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, all intertwined and baked. In a circle? Yes, 100%. Can you do this? I'm going to try it's, it. First of all, it sounds like a very expensive cake, <laughs> but <laughs> it does sound delicious. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter. You're just going to do it. We're going to do it. We're yeah. going to make it happen. Well, I mean, people would come from all over to to purchase this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I was actually reading this week and I'm going to take over this segment. Let's do it. I got a weird Catholic stuff. What? You're kidding me. I'm not. How does that even happen? No idea. That is the weirdest thing. I'm telling you. Weird Catholic stuff. Yeah, this is strange, and it's actually going to combine a couple of segments that we do. Sometimes we talk about a saint, and then sometimes we have this weird Catholic stuff segment. So I was reading this week about a saint, a particular saint, who we actually celebrate this week uh, by the name of St. Conrad, okay, mm-hmm. of Piacenza. Mm. Mm. I can barely pronounce that, mm. right? Okay, so there's a couple of layers here. Speaking of layers is the theme of the show uh, of St. Conrad. So I'm going to go to the weird Catholic part of it, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about his life a little bit because it ties into the gospel. So the weird part is that, so he was born kind of a nobleman, kind of a, a you know high-end, rich family, gets married young to, um, you know, to a beautiful woman, and they're married. And um, he had this major event happen in his life and some conversion, yada, yada. We'll get to it. But later on in his life, Conrad and his wife agreed to separate. Okay? So they didn't divorce. They separated. Okay? Now, this guy's a saint. All right? Mm -hmm. Like he was on the journey thereof. Um, And she joined the Poor Clare Monastery. And he joined the Franciscan Third Order Rite, the T.O.R., to live in a monastery um, of hermits. 
and they separated, which is really strange. So they were married in the church, and they had a good marriage. They weren't fighting or going through a separation or divorce, but through deep prayer and discernment, decided to separate and each join a religious order. Now, I've never heard of this. Very rare. This is weird. Very rare. Catholic stuff. Now, mm-hmm. you work in, you know, what office do you work in? The annulment office. Yeah, the yeah. tribunal mm-hmm. office. Mm-hmm. So you kind of maybe know a few of the guidelines here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I don't want to s- separate from my wife and join a religious order, but I have kind of heard a little bit of this. But I, when I was reading this, it kind of really, like, this is strange. That is strange. I mean, it, it's unusual. Shouldn't happen often. Now, these are extremely holy people. So it wasn't like, hey, we don't have anything else to do with our life. We don't like each other. This is not mm-hmm. the case. This isn't like a, a divorce situation or a separation or our marriage isn't working. Uh, they didn't have children. Okay. This was like a deep, like, we're called to extreme holiness in our life. Wow. I don't know. I mean, God's will is often mis- mysterious and strange, but uh, this is a very unique vocation. I mean, just so everybody knows, in case you're fantasizing about leaving your spouse for the convent right now. Yeah, you're like, man, I could use a break from (laughs) old uh, Timmy, you know? That's not the idea. Um, I would say this is kind of like when a priest is dispensed from the clerical state. Maybe there's an analogy here where um, they're living a life as a priest. They're still a priest, ordained. still a priest, but but they get dispensed from like the office or the duties of the priesthood, but they're still a priest, right? So in the same way, these people were dispensed by the church, which has the power to do this, the keys loose and bind, right? So the dispensed by the church from their duties of marriage, which is to share life together, mm-hmm. um, but still married. So the bond is still there. It's not like they're not married. But they're dispensed from the duties of marriage and the privileges. And uh, that should be rare, just like it should be rare that, that priests are dispensed from, from their uh, clerical state as well. That should be a rare thing. But sometimes it is not only necessary, but like in this case, it's God's will, right? Like God's will for these two, these two holy people, one of them becoming a saint. Um, but that's not going to be our case probably. Right? Like we're, God's calling us to holiness within our marriage uh, and within that state. So um, if you're fantasizing about that, I, I wouldn't... Right, wouldn't and to be fruitful far. and multiply, you have children, right. like that's your responsibility. And it doesn't take away from the fact that we, within our vocation, whatever it is, but as we're talking about marriage, is we can achieve sainthood, mm-hmm. right? And, and this call to holiness. Now, they had a completely different story. No children, they're married, they had right. this deep calling. You know, they got, you know... Um, there, there have been cases of like saints who were married, which, by the way, there are married saints who stayed married. Like that, you know. So, like, <laughs> let, let's just kind of, you know, Saint Thomas More. You know, they have all these saints that were married, um, but there have been married saints who have committed to either an extensive or long term time of abstinence mm-hmm. in their marriage, like mm-hmm. a, like an extreme. Um, what would you say? Uh, penance and fasting from, you know, sex together to to pursue God even more. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's stories of that, which is which yeah. is like crazy. Yeah, like Saint Teresa's parents, Saint Louis and um, Zelie Martin Mortain. That was their plan when they got married was to 
to be like the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph, to have a Josephite marriage, mm. like in a marriage where they never did that, but they continued to discern God's will. Within nine months, they gave up on that plan. And thank God they did, because we have uh, St. Therese, and their four other daughters have their causes for canonization open that have impacted the church, right? So, um, yeah, discerning God's will is mysterious. And, you know, I think holy people are attracted to extreme gift of self. I think that's kind of the, the story I'm hearing from this weird Catholic story is like when you're a holy person, you want to give yourself completely to God and completely to others. And after making that self gift to each other for a time in marriage, it's like God put on their heart, her and him, this desire for a more complete self gift to God in the convent. And becoming a hermit is like, you know, a complete self gift to God directly. So not communally necessarily, because a hermit you're by yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And then the poor Claires are, are contemplative, so it's it's mostly time with God. And so after making gift of self to another, to community, through marriage. They were called to this gift of self to God directly to end their life. And that's beautiful, you know, but it's it's weird. Yeah, it, it's strange. It is strange. And there, there are extreme cases. I think what I kind of take out of this is that to what extent will I go to pursue God and holiness, right? And sainthood, right? Now, you know, like you said, like, for the majority of us, like it's it's in our vocation and in, in our marriage and through our spouses, you know, thank God for my spouse. I mean, she is right. Like an avenue for me to love God better and to pursue holiness. Like we're, we're you know, we sort of, we're linking arms in, in that journey together, you know, but even if your marriage isn't that, like, even if you're maybe struggling in your marriage or it's, you know, you're both not, spiritually on the same path yet you can still pursue holiness through loving that other person who's struggling mm-hmm. right and you you can grow in your pursuit of god and sainthood even through as scripture says an unbelieving spouse right like your witness your prayer and, and your path is a is a saving grace even so in the sacrament for the spouse who is struggling spiritually or maybe not on the same spiritual path as you. Mm-hmm. So to think to yourself, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to like join a religious order and leave this person or maybe even like in my own home set up on hermitage and just ignore this person. That's yep. not what God asked of us, right? Like for, for St. Conrad and his wife, like they were pursuing God together and then you know, God called them specifically into this religious life, you know, so, so their journey was very, very unique. Right. Yeah. But the spouse that's living in our house, it, our call within our sacrament is to get them to heaven no matter what. (laughs) No, it's true. And I I think you, you said a very important thing is that Conrad, what's his wife's name? Do we know? Yeah. 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 I have it right here. And and not to like not give her credit, but it's a really hard word to say. Okay, Eurofrasini. Eurofrasini. Mm. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna spell it. <laughs> yes, yeah, if you can pronounce it, E U P H R O S Y N E. 
That sounds right. You're a Frasini. Yeah. You're a Frasini. You're a Frasini, yeah. Huh? <laughs> um, all right. Well, we'll just stick with Conrad and his wife <laughs> yeah. for the remainder See? of the program. <laughs> so don't judge. But there you go. <laughs> um, so they discerned a boundary of their marriage that was within the will of God. And I think what could hit home to a lot of us and be helpful, some of us have to discern boundaries in our marriages that God wants too, you know, because not all of us have a marriage that's healthy enough or we're just not in this, the place where um, there's a freedom relationally and, and with our unity to be completely open to anything, right? Like some of us, because our spouse struggles with a substance abuse or an addiction or our spouse has psychological issues or um, we're just not in a relational or ma- uh, maturity state of maturity to be able to enter into that full life in marriage yet that we need to work towards, we should discern what healthy boundary I need to set emotionally, physically, relationally to be able to love my spouse well. It's not a boundary to say, I'm not going to be a good spouse or I'm not going to love you like a spouse. But sometimes love needs boundaries in order to flourish, you know, for me to really love my wife well or my husband well, if they have a substance abuse problem, means I have to set boundaries for that person, you know, and that that's a really hard thing to discern, but it is God's will and it is the way to live out that marriage in that state. And sometimes it gets better. Sometimes you grow and sometimes you don't, you know, you become what you what you would love to have. Sometimes you don't, and sometimes it takes years and years to work on it. But either way, you can be faithful to your sacrament. You can be faithful to that mission of marriage. Yeah, I mean, Scripture, love has no bounds, but it does have rules. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, like it has no bounds. Like love is endless. Like God's love is endless. It's, in, it's infinite, right? Love, love has no bounds. Like I, in, in our humanness, we, we can fall short of love, but yet lo- love has no bounds. But love does have rules. Right. And Jesus talks about rules of love all the time. Uh, and he gives us sort of this framework on how to love. Why? Because if we, we love without bounds, with no rules, will we will go out of control. I mean, look at our culture. The meaning of love can mean anything. I, I can date anyone, sleep with anyone. I can call myself anything and anywhere. And I, I can do anything I want because love has no bounds, right? Mm-hmm. And if love has no bounds with no rules, then I'm just, I'm going to just throw myself to the wind and, and cause damage to, to my own heart, soul, and to other people, right? But I'm just basing that on a feeling. And so it feels right, right? Yeah. So love has no bounds, but it does have rules. It does have boundaries yeah. for those rules to safeguard our focus, and our hearts so that we can love well, right? Mm-hmm. So when we love well with no bounds, when we love well, right, with with uh, rules, then we love like Jesus does, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, that, and that's the importance of it. You know, it's interesting because one of the, the conversional pieces of St. Conrad's life was interesting. So he was, he was wealthy. And, I mean, if you think about in this time, I mean, he was... He was living around the late 1200s to the mid 1300s. Okay. So, I mean, you know, think about that day and time. Uh, He was out 
hunting. Okay. So think about hunting during those times. This was like an elite thing, you know, that he did with attendance. So he had like people who, you know, did things for him. Mm-hmm. He was, he was out hunting with an attendance and the attendants, he asked them to set fire to a piece of brush in order to flush out the game. So maybe, I don't know what he was hunting, you know, rabbits, rabbits pheasants, pheasants, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and so they're just, they're just having fun. This is like recreation, you know. And uh, so they f- flush out the game. Well, the fire spread to nearby fields and uh, a large forest. And so he he ran, fled. You know, he's like, I'm out, you know, forest fire, <laughs> which I can relate, right? Um, and then an innocent person, a, just a, a poor peasant, got blamed and imprisoned for the fire. Oof. Yeah. Okay. So, like, get this. Like, you made a mistake. You just left. Someone else got blamed, got put in prison, and you're like, pooh. I'm off the hook, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in today's world, like, love would just say, like, yeah, don't worry about it, you know? Like, it, there's no rules to love, you know? Like, who cares? Like, I loved myself. I took care of myself. Okay, so this guy was tortured to confess and was condemned to death. So he was going to die. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because. That's some intense th- rules. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But think about starting a fire. Maybe it burned the city. Like, who knows? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Conrad uh, stepped up. He confessed his guilt and saved the man's life and paid for the damaged property. And so he he reconciled. Like, he came out of this place of, like, deep compassion and love for this man. And not only that, but to do right by his mistakes like to ask for forgiveness and to own up to what he did and it saved this man's life but it also was his, was one of the key conversion moments of his life where he felt what it was like to take the place of someone else like Jesus did for us mm-hmm. Jesus took the place in place for us for our sin you know for he paid the price for us right but we also have to there's justice for our life and for our mistakes right like we have to own up to those things and and accept that love of christ into our life and this was a meeting point in conrad's life was this deep reconciliation with this man for what he did wrong and the realization of what christ had done for him in his own life and it became a real turning point for him wow so this was before his marriage, do you know? No, he was married. Oh, and okay. then soon after this is when him like and his wife, awakening. yeah, a real spiritual awakening in his life. They had no children. And when you think about the context of marriage and love is that the the greatest form one of the one of the greatest forms of love is is reconciliation. It's mm-hmm. forgiveness. It's it's uh taking ownership of the times that you haven't loved well. Right. And so much of tension within relationships and within marriage is spouses or whatever, not taking ownership of their mistakes, the things that they've done wrong, saying, I'm sorry, and really loving the other person as Jesus would love them. I've always been fascinated by that. I mean, why do we do that? Like if who are we trying to prove that we're amazing people that we're not willing to admit we did something wrong. Like, what are we trying to prove to whom? Mm-hmm. Is there some kind of 
jury all around us that we're on trial constantly and we don't want any evidence presented to the contrary that we're perfect or like we don't have flaws or we don't make mistakes, you know? Why do we do that? Yeah, and I've what I've been fascinated by and that. what I've seen is like when you go a long period of time of not taking ownership of your part in the dysfunction of a relationship, mm-hmm. it builds up a wall between the two of you. And the other person, but really his heart becomes a heart of stone. And so when you do sort of say you're sorry or try to reconcile or pursue the other person, that person's heart has become so calloused towards you that they're just like, I don't, I don't really want to do this. I don't believe you. You know, I'm, I'm not open to this. They're protecting themselves from your hurt. And when you were talking about earlier, maybe a, a spouse that has, you know, have had, you know, substance abuse or maybe certain patterns of behavior, the other spouse becomes hardened, mm-hmm. you know, to that person because they haven't taken ownership of their mistakes. Right. And the, this can be in both camps. Like we, we, we have to both learn, you know, to do this well in our relationship for it to be healthy. Yeah. I mean, another point for the, for the Catholic category, I mean, the sacrament of reconciliation, like we have a sacrament for that. A whole thing is a school of reconciliation, and I try to teach my kids from the sacrament um, mm. how to reconcile. Because just like the Eucharist is a school of love, you know, the uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth called the sacrament of love, the sacrament of charity. It's where we learn charity. You know, the sacrament of reconciliation is the school of reconciliation. It's where we learn how to reconcile with each other and with God, and. You know, the, the same steps that make for a good confession, I think, make for good reconciliation with one another. And the first is that we have to pray for contrition. We have to mourn our sins. We have to actually grieve over what we've done, not because we're awful, not because we need to beat ourselves up, but because God and neighbor were offended. Hmm. You know, even if someone else did it, I, I should mourn it, right? Like, like, so, for example, if, if someone offends my wife, I shouldn't be like, well, I didn't do it. Yep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, the fact that she was offended should grieve me, even if it wasn't my fault. But in my sins, it is my fault. But it is that grieving over the offense that leads to the contrition of a good confession. And in the same way with one another, that's one of the saddest things, especially when spouses are trying to convince each other that they didn't do anything wrong. It's like, well, first of all, even if it wasn't your fault— this happened. Yeah, it's not right or wrong. And we and should I, grieve it. Absolutely. And I love that word in a sense of like grieving what breaks other people's hearts or breaks ours or breaks God's heart, right? Mm-hmm. And taking ownership of that. What I love about Conrad's life is that he had the ability to self-reflect and say, what did I do wrong? And I need to take ownership of that. You know, in the recovery program, there's a thing called AA. Mm-hmm. There's 12 steps, right? This is built on a Catholic model years and years ago. And one of the 12 steps is to make amends with people you have hurt. Now, I'm not, I've never struggled with substance abuse per se or going through 12 steps, but I know them and I've walked other people through them and mm-hmm. talked to other people. One of the things that I, I've tried to implement in my own life is some of the 12 steps, one is making amends. Mm -hmm. Like, let me think about my life and all the people maybe I have intentionally or unintentionally hurt. And I should go back and reconcile and say, I'm sorry. 
-hmm. That could be like with my own parents who, whatever, like I was the kid, but I, I, I was still part of a relationship. You know, is there areas of my life I should go back and, and have, you know, my siblings, um, people I worked with, uh, people I grew up with. Like, I want to grieve maybe times that I haven't loved people well and mm -hmm. take ownership of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was a funny story is a couple of years ago, I was eating at a restaurant. It was just me and my little one. Uh, and that was it. We were having like this just little outing. And this guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, man, uh, we went to high school together. Now, we're I'm in a totally different town. And I'm just like, you know, having like a salad. <laughs> and my first thought is like, oh, no. Did I beat you up? Did something like... You know, like, so we were talking about like old high school days and he, when I was a senior, he was a freshman and oh, we were in a huge school. So we remembered each other, maybe as a sophomore, I was a couple of years older and I don't remember everything about like when I was younger, you know, and there's a lot that I don't. And, you know, and I know that I probably went through high school and I loved some people well, and I probably didn't love other people well. Mm -hmm. And I probably saw some people well, and I probably overlooked people. Right. Mm -hmm. And as I've had deeper conversion in my life, like one of the things that I want to do well is just see people and love the person in front of me well. I don't always do it. I certainly don't. Even in my own house, I'm trying. But so finally in the conversation, I just looked at him and said, and this was awkward, but I was like, can I just ask you a question? I mean, it's been, you know, a couple of decades, man. I don't even remember you. <laughs> I'm sorry. But he remembered me. Mm -hmm. And I said, was there ever a time in high school that I did anything that offended you? And he was like, what? I was like, did I ever, like, pick on you or, like, bully you? Or, like, did I, did I ignore you? Like, what? And he's like, man, that's a weird. He's like, no, man. Like, it... <laughs> I was like, okay, good. <laughs> But if I did, tell me, because I want to actually apologize and let you know that, like, I love you mm -hmm. as a human. It was just this weird kind of cool moment, I think more so for me than him, Yeah. by the way. Yeah, well, and again, it, that sacrament of rec reconciliation is a, um, is a school of reconciliation. And what we learn in that school, God never talks back to us in the reconciliation, right? Like we, I mean, we hear through the priest, I absolve you of your sins. Like I forgive you, but it's, it's a one-sided conversation. It's a one-sided process where like we, it's, it's about us being reconciled to God and benefiting from it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like God, we don't hurt God. God doesn't need us <clears throat> to be reconciled with him. He desires it. He wants it. He longs for it more than we do, but we need him. We need to be reconciled. And so the process of reconciliation is much more healing for us. Like we need to be reconciled with other people, even if they're not going to reconcile with us, even if we don't get the feedback we wanted, even if we don't get the response we wanted, that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. And you know, it, we can't go to reconciliation, the sacrament of reconciliation and not allow the grace of that to catapult us to reconcile with other people. Mm -hmm. So we can't even hide behind our faith without it motivating us to do the right thing. And that's one of the rules of love is that we should love others as Jesus loves us. So if he loves us enough to forgive us, then 
we have to one go forgive other people or ask other people to forgive us for our own trespasses right mm -hmm. like that's part of the calling and this is what the gospel goes in like it's one of the hardest gospels you're ever going to read is this sunday so you don't want to read it and you don't want to be challenged like don't go but go go yeah you know what i'm saying <laughs> jesus said to love your enemies and to do good to those who hate you i mean there's you want to follow something really hard jesus doesn't say it's going to be easy but the rules of love are there to set us free and to set other people free love your enemies that's one of the rules of love and do good those to those who even hate you bless those who curse you pray for those who mistreat you hello these are rules to love to the person who strikes you on one cheek offer the other one as well this is really difficult we don't do this very well right this is jesus rules of love who want to follow him and from the person who takes your cloak do not withhold even your tunic give to everyone who asks you and from the one who takes what is yours do not demand it back i mean this is like goes against every rule that the culture says is love do unto others as you would have them do unto you for if you love those who love you what credit is it to you even sinners love those who love them and if you do good to those who do good to you what credit is that to you even sinners do the same like it just keeps going on and on and on and when we constantly say well i kind of do that he's like well even sinners do that i'm not calling you to be that i'm calling you to love as i love like the the rules of love in, through christ is it's extreme mm -hmm. and it, it's a type of love that sets us free so love has no bounds but its rules are very focused it's the ability to love as he loves and experienced christians have told me this since i was young but I'm now actually starting to see what they were saying because I'm getting more experience. But there really is nothing else that sets us apart from other people more than that, that we love those who treat us badly. You know, like if people are going to look, say like, man, that was different, or that was, you know, that Christian is a Christian, or that it's really easy to love people that love us and to get along with people that we get along with easily, right? And and so think of a workplace. Human nature, we're all going to gravitate to those people that we get along with or like serve a purpose that we have or whatever else. But when a Christian goes into a situation and is able to love those that mistreat them, it's obvious. Yeah. Right? Like a wave is made. And I've found that in those times where I've been a part of a situation where either I could love that way or someone else loved that way, that's when things change, like even in the dynamics of the relationship. That's when the peace of Christ kind of invades that office space or invades that family or invades that, you know, it's not so much in the good times. The good times are great. You know, when we get together, you know, let's say at a, a family meal and we're barbecuing and having a great time, awesome. But when stuff hits the fan and you mistreated someone, but then yet, that person loved you anyway, hmm. those are game-changing moments for families or, or any other group of people. Yes. You know, oof. it's hard to love when it's hard to love. I mean, and Jesus never says it's going to be easy, right? I mean, you think about our own family, our extended family, or the workplace. And look, sometimes it's you can love someone and it's hard to work with them. 
you know, you can love someone and it's hard to, you know, like them, right? But Jesus doesn't talk about liking right here. He talks about loving, loving your enemies, praying for mm-hmm. those who persecute you, uh, do good to those who even harm you, give to those who you don't want to give to. If they, if you have to give a little, give more. Like, like this is this is where Jesus calls us as Christians to live a different life. And I think I said this on the last show. In in our church, we can blame a whole lot of things. We can go from the Pope all the way down to the cardinals, to the bishops, to the priests, to the parishes, and I'm tired of it. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, like culturally, there won't be a shift in the church and growth in evangelization until Christians live differently. And I'm not talking about hiding in a hermitage. I'm not talking about building these like, you know, communities that are like, you know, in a bubble. I'm talking about Christians who live every day in the world, but there's something different about the way they live mm-hmm. and the way they act. And if you want to know the recipe for that, it's this gospel, mm-hmm. this Sunday, it, the gospel of Luke chapter six, 27 through 38, read it over and over again. I'm just going to read this all week because if I can't do this, Jesus doesn't say this, so we'll like miss it. He doesn't like talk about this. He's like, these are suggestions. Jesus doesn't make suggestions in the gospel. Like he calls us to something specific. And and this is what's hard. But I mean, at the end of the day, stop judging and you will not be judged. Stop condemning. You will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and gifts will be given to you. A good measure packed together, shaken down and overwhelming will be poured into your lap for the measure with which you measure will be returned to you. I mean, these rules of love, you know, to love as he loved, like uh, to act as he act, like until we do that, like, right. That's what mm-hmm. I need to work on. Like everyone needs to look in the mirror and says, am I doing these things? Well, because this is what's going to impact my family, my marriage, my workplace, my culture, my church. And when we do this, well, that's when I think the church will take off. All right, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you today. Once again, thanks for listening to the podcast or on the radio. Grateful that you're a part of the show. Are grateful, yeah. Kind of a different show. We kind of hit some themes that we were supposed to hit, by mm-hmm. the way. But it kind of we got there in a way I never thought we would get there. Right through Saint Conrad and his wife and you, the you dolphins. Philly, I mean, yeah, and the dolphins. Yeah, those uh, hippie dolphins, drug hitting dolphins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I think the best way to end the show is with a nice dolphin drink, a little puffer fish of a drink. So <laughs> let's do a six pack of puffers. 
questions. Six pack of puffers. Yeah. Did you ever think that would come out of a show? Oh, my word. Yeah. All right, question number one. Mm -hmm. So I got to know, we went through the trouble of actually thinking on air about a king cake of meat with meat layers. Yeah. I got to know, what are you going to name this thing? That's the question. What's the name of the brisket, bacon, what was the other? Oh, uh, filet. King's Ransom cake. Let's see. Ooh, uh, King's Ransom. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you just you just threw that out there. Yeah, it's like everything. It's like the it's like all the marbles in one. I mean, it's all of it. It's the King's Ransom cake. Oh my goodness. Okay. I think we're on to something. I swear if someone takes this idea and runs <laughs> with it. Well, this has been published, so it's definitely our idea. Yeah. They can't, you know, they they have to pay you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Question number 2. So we talked about dolphins uh getting high with puffer fish and passing it around to their friends. Um, I guess my question is, <laughs> how do I ask this? Um, if you would share a legal substance with friends, mm-hmm. amongst friends, like just to enjoy, um, what would be your, your substance to, of choice? Like if you're going to pass something around. Yeah. I'm, I've never done anything illegal substance <laughs> or would. I'm not a big substance person anyway. Mm-hmm. Like I don't drink a ton or or whatever, smoke cigars or pipes like you do. Mm-hmm. But I would say probably at this point in my life, like if it's a, it would probably be like a real like if I had, there were no like no rules or like limits, mm-hmm. I'd probably get a really nice bottle of wine. Oh, like if I had to choose, nice. I know that sounds kind of bougie. No, I think that's great. You know, people are judging me because, like, yeah, you should do a beer or bourbon. But, like, I don't drink enough to, like, care. Mm -hmm. So I would rather that. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that. Yeah. All right, question number three. Um, Interesting story about St. Conrad and his wife. Yeah. Euphiliani. Great name. Conrad. Yeah. I might name my kid Conrad. Um, But they discerned God's wolf for them, and it included kind of separating parting ways and I would, I would love to hear, I'm sure you've helped people discern that with relationships, maybe not spouses, but like friendships or business relationships. There's often a time where we have to admit God's will for us is to separate, you know, is to not be in each other's lives so much. Um, kind of walk me through like that reality, you know, like discerning that with relationships, this boundary that God wants set that we just have to admit it and, and accept it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I would even think like, you know, and talking to people, you know, I we work with marriages, but even talking to like and getting references from counselors who are trained in, in marriage counseling, there are times where it's important for the couple who are struggling maybe to discern separating. There's some real deep issues, maybe mental, physical, verbal abuse, whatever, like the dysfunction is around there. And like sometimes discerning to separate and have some space to work on the marriage, work on themselves is extremely important. And early on, I would have said, you know, that's silly. Like you should work it out in the same house. And yeah, that's probably the best case scenario, but there are times where it's just not doable. And so separating for the sake of growing is important. Now you have to 
differentiate uh, separating for the sake of we just don't want to be together. Mm-hmm. And therefore, like, we're working on not being married. Mm-hmm. Right? We're building a life separate. We're right? building a life separate. And we're moving towards, like, not working it out and divorcing. Whereas, like, separating for the sake of saying, I, I'm going to do some extreme work on myself for the sake of the marriage so that we can have a healthy marriage. That's really good discernment. And sometimes that needs to happen as well as in other maybe relationships or friendships where you're just like, this is, this is kind of toxic for me, this friendship or this dating relationship or this business relationship to give yourself some space, some separation to think clearly and discern it well and to work on it. Because sometimes like when you're in it, you just can't see the reality. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Question number four. Um, Conrad messed up big time, owned up to it. How would you suggest if someone, let's say, let's say we struggle to own up to our stuff, you know, like we know we do wrong things, but maybe we take, we're slow to admit it or we're slow to apologize, even if we realize it. What are some tips you kind of offer people like that to become better at that? Better to, to face the fact that we did wrong, like actually see it. Um, and then own up to it quickly. Yeah, I think the hardest part is just doing it, is like taking the step. And if we're not used to like having that type of conflict or like saying I'm sorry for hurting someone and you having to like face it, it can be hard because there's so much judgment on yourself or shame or pride or whatever. And I would just say like sometimes you just have to like close your eyes and step through it, right? Like, you know, like, Sometimes like when I go on stage or to speak, it's like scary. It's like some, you just have to close your eyes and just step out. And then like God takes care of the rest. And in those times where you have to wreck, it's like just make the first step and, and fumble through it. Like I, I'm here to say, I, I, you know, I'm really sorry. And like don't worry about the words because the words aren't as important as showing up and being empathetic and compassionate, right? Mm. Yeah. Just do it. Practice. Just do it. All right, question number five. Um, I want to talk about enemies for a second because we said, we talked about love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and do good to those who hate you. It seems like our Lord, and he makes room for enemies in the life of a Christian, you know, those that are against us rather than mm-hmm. those that are for us. And certainly he had enemies that put him on the cross, but he loved them to the end. Um this relationship with enemies that the church is going to have, that we're going to have as Christians, um, I guess, help, help help me understand when enemies are healthy and when they're not. Like, when do I know that having an enemy is a sign that I did something wrong? And how do I know that this is just part of the package of being Christian? You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes we give ourselves a pass where, like, you know, we don't know how to relate to somebody and we say, oh, well, they just don't like the truth. They just don't like the gospel and I was preaching the truth. But in fact, I was just being a jerk. You know what yeah. I mean? Like sometimes I have an enemy because I did something wrong, but sometimes it's just because that's the nature of being Christian. Man, the issue today too is like we got Christians hating other Christians, mm-hmm. even within the church. It's like, man, the, the, that's just silly issues. Like we, we need to stop that, you know? It's one thing for like someone to be toxic about us because of our belief who's not a you know, who just hates the way we live and believe and, you know, they're, you know, whatever. And I think that, you know, what Jesus is saying, and look, I'm not good at this. I'm working on it. Is just that enemy is just someone who is, you know, hard to love, mm-hmm. you know, they're just hard to love. And, and maybe it's because we've made it 
that way. Or maybe it's just because like they have issues and, and they're, they're just hard to love. And that's what Jesus is calling us is to love those who are hard to love. You know, I mean, and there's a lot, mm. right? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot. All right, question number six. Our Lord talked about the measure with which we measure will be measured out to us. Um, talk to us about generosity and, and the importance of that, like just giving with greater measure, and especially if we struggle with generosity. Like how do we open ourselves up to that so that we don't get a little measure from Jesus? Because I want a big measure. I want to be able to have that, that flowing thing into my lap that he was talking about. Um, so how do I be more generous? Yeah, I mean... You know, it just talks about like if someone give to everyone who asks of you. That's what it says. And from the one who takes what is yours, do not demand it back. Hello. <laughs> I mean, so it doesn't always mean money. It could be your time, your attention, like your compassion, whatever it is that that you have to give. Give it. You know, certainly we got to set boundaries, and we can't be so codependent that we just give to the point where like we don't take care of ourselves and like we can't turn on our own electricity he's not talking about that but to give to the point where it hurts whether that be financially or with our time or attention or prayer or sacrifices like it it you know if we're if we're not loving to the point where it hurts then we're just loving when it's easy right and and you know jesus loved to the point where you know, it pushed the limits of love. And I think that's that's the beauty of following Christ. That's when we're like the most free. Like you've never sacrificed and loved really difficult and look back and be like, I really regret that. Mm. Right? You look back and be like, man, that was that was like that was a moment. That was awesome. Right? It was hard. It was difficult. I was exhausted. But I wouldn't take it back, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think there, there are moments in our lives and opportunities that God presents every day uh, for us to do those types of things, to, to make those loving sacrifices with our time, with our schedules to move things around. And, and look, there's no one more ordered than me in a sense of like getting through my day on a path. And I, I get easily, when I get interrupted, I get perturbed. And I think it's like I'm learning to like let my interruptions be a time to like love that opportunity to go off track and do whatever that asks me to do, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm growing and learning to do that well, whether it be with people or with things or whatever. Nice. I'm a work in progress, man. I'm a big mess. <laughs> you just need a king's ransom. That's all you need. Oh, dude, I'm dreaming about this. <laughs> Dude, I'm on to something. I think I'm going to talk to my friend, and we're going to develop mm-hmm. the King Ransom's cake. Man. Dude, and I know the first person that's going to want to bite you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just know that. Yeah. Like, if I were to put a King cake and a King's Ransom next to each other, I know which one you would go for first. Totally. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could afford it, though. I mean, it sounds like it'll be like 50 bucks a bite. <laughs> no. <laughs> But it might be a dollar a bite. Nice. And you would you would take a bite? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would. That yeah. sounds delicious. Delicious. All right. Well, great show. Thanks, everyone, for listening in, being a part of the show on the podcast or on the radio. Thanks for everything. And we'll be back next week. God bless.